4: Hello, you're listening to Bloomberg Westminster, your daily guide to British politics. I'm Sebastian Sarlik.
2: And a very good afternoon. I'm Roger Hearing. Now we begin with the pandemic, as the Home Secretary is backing a tougher police approach for those who break England's coronavirus lockdown.
0: Our ability to get through the coming weeks and months depends on each and every one of us contributing to what is truly a national effort. But a minority of people are putting the health of the nation at risk by not following the rules.
2: That was Priti Patel, of course, speaking at the Downing Street briefing, where she said police officers are moving more quickly to issue fines to those who clearly breach regulations. The chair of the National Police Chief's Council also revealed more teams will be out on dedicated patrols.
4: Yep, and as well as that, there's news on the Brexit front. The UK this week will begin talks with the EU on how regulators will cooperate over financial services. One of the big issues that was largely sidelined in the trade deal that was struck with the bloc by Boris Johnson just before Christmas. Of course, a crucial part of the UK economy. The two parties have agreed to broker a memorandum of understanding on regulatory cooperation by March. So once again, Roger, the clock is ticking.
2: Indeed well meanwhile we have the deal that we have in terms of what was agreed just before Christmas and that is at the centre of a lot of concern in Northern Ireland at the moment some companies not sending food and other items across the Irish Sea because of the complications of the new rules and the effective border between the province and the rest of the UK there've been some reports and indeed pictures of empty supermarket shelves let's bring in Colum Eastwood who's SDLP party leader and MP for Foyle Colum thanks for being with us again good to have you on board I'm let me just get a sense from you about what the picture is like in Northern Ireland over these difficulties about getting goods in and out.
3: Well, well there clearly have been uh, big problems getting uh, goods into uh, supermarkets, getting uh, deliveries, uh, online deliveries uh, to people's homes. Um, and, and I think, frankly, we're lucky uh, that there is a, a lockdown and that you know uh, the pubs and restaurants are closed. Uh, most of the retail is closed, um, and I think that has, that has saved us from, from an even bigger problem. Uh, th- this is really, though, a, a result of, of Brexit. I know some people want to say it's a result of the protocol. Um, the protocol uh, was is there to mitigate uh, the worst excesses of Brexit, and I think we would be in a much better position uh, if the British government hadn't run the negotiation right down uh, to the dying hours of uh, 2020. Uh, and given businesses, particularly businesses in GB, uh, no room or no time to get ready uh, for what was going to be always a cumbersome process. Now, there are things that can be done, of course. Uh, I think um, the, the protocol is, is here to stay. Um, it is not something that we wanted, but it is a protection uh, from a hard border in Ireland uh, that is necessary. But there are things can happen. Yeah. So we, we could, of course, uh, extend the grace period and allow, you know, uh, I think the UK... Government and the EU should be speaking to all of those wholesalers and and hauliers and and businesses that need to that can feed in to try to make some changes to to, to how the rules are applied, um, and, and that should happen. I mean, I don't think there should be another cliff edge uh, in April. But of course, this is all as a result of of the way in which. Boris Johnson's government
4: have negotiated. Well well, listen, you talk about how quickly things came into, uh, into force and how quickly the deal was agreed and the impact that that had on business. What about now, as things get up and running once again? In Northern Ireland, just how badly are these businesses being impacted?
3: Well, it's it's hard to tell right now, as I say, because of the the lockdown. Um, but there are real, real issues. I mean, I, I've spoken to wholesalers yesterday. I've spoken to many other businesses who are really struggling, um, largely because businesses in GB aren't ready. For the changes and, and we all understand why that is because they, they didn't get any time uh to get ready um but I, so I, I don't believe that the great that the grace period that people have up until the beginning of april is enough i think that should be extended uh, i don't see why it wouldn't be extended um but i also think there needs to be a look at specific um areas as to how we can make this easier how we can make trade flow easier you know of course the brexit um uh, w- 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 was hailed by by the Brexiteers as a a great triumph for uh, for Britain that they could go and and, and, uh, and trade around the world. And what we have now is a trade deal that is actually making trade flows more difficult. Um, so all of this, uh, I think, is is a bad thing. I think Britain. Uh, have, uh, or the British government have negotiated a bad trade deal. I think Brexit is bad uh, for all of us. Uh, but there also are opportunities that people need to, to recognise. Um, people, I think businesses and investors in Britain should recognise that Northern Ireland now, despite the, the current difficulties, has access to both markets, both the, the, the British and no. the, the, the European market, uh, in terms no. of trade flows from here uh, outwards. And I, I think there are opportunities there for people to invest.
2: Well, Colm, I wanted to pick up on that precise point, which is that, you know, where one door is not closed is certainly harder to get through. The other door maybe is open. I mean, people in the nationalist community might, I suppose, take comfort from the thought that the trade perhaps with the Republic can get better and easier uh, under these circumstances. And I I don't know whether you see a piece by Kate Hoey, the former Labour MP and Brexit supporter in The Telegraph today, saying uh, that that she thinks uh, the province is moving further away from the Union. Uh, Do you agree with that?
3: Oh, I, I absolutely do. I think I, I don't think any. Um, I'm not gleeful about this. I mean, we argued against Brexit. I believe that the trade should be able to flow wherever it wants to, and, and that's. Um, uh, that, that's a fundamental principle. But I do think um, if you look at what's happening as a result of Brexit, if you look at what's happening even as a result of the coronavirus and the two different approaches on the island of Ireland, if you look at what's happening in Scotland, I think the constitutional sounds are shifting. And, and I, I firmly believe now post-Brexit uh, that the UK uh, will come to an end at, at some point. Um, I also believe uh, that that places a huge burden on, on, on those right. of us in political leadership. manage that process and to make sure that those people who feel British uh, on our island uh, can be properly protected and that their traditions and identity can be supported and and actually celebrated.
4: So so if we were to get to the point of a border referendum is that something that you would support?
3: Absolutely, I mean you know I'm an Irish nationalist, Um, I I believe in Irish unity, I think it makes far more sense to have uh, one health service, one economic system, one tax system on the island of Ireland. And I think more and more people are coming to that position. I I, I think, however, we have to plan it. We have to be careful about it. We have to be patient. We have to recognise that there are many people on the island of Ireland, particularly in Northern Ireland, who give allegiance to the British Crown for example and the British state and we have to find ways of recognising and celebrating that uh, that, that difference that, that we have on our island and, and that's what the Good Friday Agreement is there to do so the principles that underpin the Good Friday Agreement about partnership and reconciliation and power sharing have to um, be a core part of our vision for a New Ireland and, sure. and I, I, I think we're in interesting and exciting times but there well, is you... a huge burden on all of us to manage it properly
2: well, Colm, on that point specifically, if you would, I mean, the timing of this then has to be very carefully managed because there are as many unionists who absolutely hate that idea. So not a border referendum any time soon then, really?
3: Well, I, I, I don't think it should happen soon. Uh, I've been saying this and I've been uh, sort of pleading with other nationalists not to rush the fences on it. Uh, I think what should happen immediately is, is that we should all be planning uh, and, and, and making the arguments. I don't think any of us can stand up and say we have made all of the arguments so that we've done all the planning and worked out how uh, pensions would work and how the health service would work and all of that the sdlp for our part is beginning that work and has already had many conversations quiet conversations with people from a unionist british background in northern ireland we'll continue those but we'll also be publishing position papers on how a united ireland would work and so i my, my view on that has always been do the work first Uh, have one referendum and win it we don't want to have a a cycle of constant um, debate about this we want to make the argument get as much support as possible because it isn't just for us about wanting a referendum it's about building a country and and if you want to build a country where everyone can feel in which everyone can feel a full part uh, then there's an awful lot of work to do before you you have a referendum. I think Brexit teaches us one lesson is that uh, if you're going into a referendum know what you're voting for.
4: Yeah, I mean, interesting stuff, as you say, shifting sands, that's really something we've got to watch carefully. What about the virus? I mean, a lot of the discourse uh, throughout the United Kingdom is around people not following the rules or the rest of it. I see in Northern Ireland, the R rate is falling significantly, so the government must be doing something right over there.
3: Well, I, th- I think there have been major mistakes made, uh, to be to be honest about it. Um, I don't think in the autumn time we locked down uh, strongly enough or quickly enough, and that led to, to big problems. Uh, then, of course, we opened up uh, at Christmas time, which I suppose everybody wanted to do. Uh, and then we've had a very difficult time. And we're the, the R number is dropping. The case numbers are dropping quite rapidly, thank, thankfully. But we're, we're still kind of waiting on the big surge to hit because, as we know, there's a lag in terms of hospitalizations. So I think the next couple of weeks will be very, very difficult for our health service. So, and I think the reality now is that, that we all know until... Uh, you know a large number of people are vaccinated particularly the most vulnerable uh, then we yeah. need to we need to stay locked down we need to H- stay away is... from each other wear a
2: mask and do all that briefly colin because we're running out of time how how is the vaccine program going
3: it's actually going very well um, I think we're well ahead of most other countries, uh, and that's good. Uh, we will keep keep a close eye on it. Obviously, uh, there are very specific dates uh, um, for the next uh, few weeks. It gets a bit uh, more blurry after that. We hear about spring and summer. We need, I think, we need uh, more answers on how all of that will. Uh, We'll roll out, um, but we're keeping a very close eye on it. I think if people uh, do what we we all know by this stage we need to do, we can keep people out of hospital uh, until we get everybody vaccinated and, and then we can finally get back to some level of normality.
1: You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. Athletes, actors, artists. But what about the people behind the scenes? You know, the ones who make it all happen.
4: Let's have a look at what else is making news in the world of politics. Uh, It is this ongoing row over school meals that the focus is around. The government says it's fixing problems with food parcels being delivered to families. Chartwells, which is the private company contracted to deliver them, has apologised after coming in for criticism from the footballer Marcus Rashford, never a good sign, and the Labour Party as well. Health Secretary Matt Hancock agrees that they weren't good enough. Food packages that were sent out were clearly unacceptable. One of the strengths of social media is that we could find that out so quickly. That was brought to ministers' attention and they got right on it. So, you know, it's a problem that is being fixed so catering companies have now been ordered to make improvements to those parcels.
2: Yeah, but it's a bit embarrassing that it takes a footballer on social media yeah. to get that right. Right, let's talk about G7. Now, Boris Johnson planning to host a virtual meeting of G7 leaders next month. It comes as the Prime Minister starts his presidency of the group, and Bloomberg sources say it will be in addition to the regular G summit, which, of course, is due in mid-June. The meeting expected to take place at the end of February and will centre primarily on the immediate response to the virus pandemic, but I think... A lot of people will be looking to see how Joe Biden, then the President of the United States, uh, will change the mood somewhat.
4: Yes, no doubt it'll be very different to his predecessor. And we've not had many of these international summits throughout the pandemic for obvious reasons. Um, So it'll be good to see where where everyone's at. And then uh, you've got another geopolitical story here, UK-Sino relations, in fact. Uh, The Foreign Secretary is saying that the government will fine companies if they cover up imports from the Xinjiang region of China. This is where international observers are accusing Beijing of overseeing forced labour by Uyghur Muslims. Dominic Raab told MPs that the UK must act. Here in the UK, we must take action to make sure that UK businesses are not part of the supply chains that lead to the gates of the internment camps in Xinjiang. And to make sure that the products of the human rights violations that take place in those camps don't end up on the shelves of supermarkets that we shop in here at home week in, week out. And then his Labour counterpart Lisa Nandy said she was expecting him to go further and impose sanctions on the Beijing government. We've had a lot of very, very uh, harsh rhetoric, haven't we, from the Foreign Secretary and the Tory party against China. But yeah, not perhaps that much action to follow it up.
2: Well, we'll see how that all plays out. Meanwhile, if you work for the Treasury, you might uh, start thinking about moving north, because Rishi Sunak's pushing for Leeds, Newcastle or Teesside to be a new northern campus for the Treasury. According to the Financial Times, the new site's going to be known as Treasury North, and it's going to house 750 civil servants to begin with. It's expected to be set up before the next election. The FT says Sunak's going to make the announcement in the next few weeks. Boris Johnson wants to relocate 22,000 jobs from central London to the regions by 2030.
4: Yes, lots of talks around that. Again, it'll be interesting to see some action here and some jobs spread around the country, uh, make things a bit less London-centric, which certainly will play well into the hands of uh, the Tories if they're looking to keep hold of all those seats they want in the Midlands and the North. But let's get back to the pandemic. Health Secretary Matt Hancock has said this can be the peak of the pandemic if enough people follow the rules. But Boris Johnson, let's face it, wasn't mincing his words earlier this week when he described the situation as perilous. Joining us now to look at the situation on the whole is Bloomberg Opinion columnist Therese Raphael. Now, Therese, good to have you. In your column this week, you talk about three main issues that mean cases are continuing to climb. Talk us through how they intersect with each other.
0: Well, the first one uh, we've known about since the middle of December, at least the Prime Minister knew about it, I think, from about December 18th, and that's the new variant of the virus. Initially, lots of people dismissed this as a major threat um, because it didn't cause more severe disease. But what happened is it's so incredibly infectious that the number of uh, uh, you know, people with COVID just shot right up, and that inevitably fed through to uh, more hospitalizations. The Prime Minister waited until January fourth to, to declare a new lockdown. There's been, you know, controversies over whether that's stringent enough and the rules and we could come to that in a minute. But you know, basically we've had the new variant, we have a new lockdown that's not as strict as the one we saw in the spring. And we also have, you know, we've been talking all along about lockdown fatigue and will people comply with the rules. And generally they have, but there's been enough sort of loose interpretation of already confusing um, and ever-changing rules to mean that, you know, combined with the uh, new variant, we just have had uh, a tsunami of cases, and that's overwhelmed a hospital system whose main weakness uh, is... Shortages of beds and a of, of greatly limited nursing and medical staff that are just you know not uh, at the numbers that are needed to cope with the those that are uh, that are being pushed into the system with COVID right now. Not to mention you know. All of the non-COVID treatments that are being suspended um, because of the need to, to shift resources to COVID. So those are the factors that are interacting to cause what Boris Johnson called a, a perilous yeah. moment. And, you know, you can just see how that's uh, put such enormous pressure on the NHS, especially in places like London where we're told that, you know, one in 20 or one in 30 people have the disease.
2: Yeah, and it's, it's a startling image. I mean, the image that we've seen coming from hospitals is also very startling. And that's, in a way, I suppose, what's pushed people, kind of persuader really, to make people do what they're supposed to do and accept severe lockdown restrictions. But I guess if the situation in hospitals improves, and we all hope and pray that it will, then he'll be under pretty strong pressure to ease the restrictions.
0: Well, that's just the, that's just the the real dilemma for for Johnson. So, if he manages to bring the infection rate down, which of course you know he will, because um, the fact is we've got a vaccine. The more vaccines that are in arms, uh, you know, the fewer people who who can get the disease and the vaccines are going to the most vulnerable people first so as that happens we will see infection rates go down we will see hospitalization most importantly um uh hospitalization rates reduce and then though he faces the uh the pressure that's diminished somewhat in in recent weeks to release the lockdown restrictions um but if he does that too fast, you know, we could also see the pressure on the NHS resume. And so, you know, it's it's kind of this um, catch-22 for the prime minister. But it's, crucially, if the vaccine rollout is is going to accelerate and continue to be, um, you know, world-beating, which it, it is in many ways, um, then he's got to have capacity in the NHS to administer the vaccine. And um, so I think we'll we'll see him holding that hard line against anyone who's encouraging him to uh, lift those restrictions too early. But um, the pressures will shift as we get into February if he meets those targets.
4: And I mean, you mentioned the vaccine, that surely is the the thing that is really going to be a bit of a lifeline, um, to to state the obvious. Um, They're happening. It is going on behind the scenes. When are these vaccinations going to start having an impact on the rate of infection?
0: I mean, they are probably already having some of an somewhat of an impact. We've seen, I think, 17 boroughs in London now reporting um, uh, lower rates um, of, of infections. So I think, it, you know, but the needle is, is uh, you know, coming down very slowly because, of course, it takes time for the infections to feed through. So many of the deaths we're seeing now are people who were infected in, say, mid-December or even earlier. So, uh, you know, the fear is that we'll get a bit worse before it gets better, but there is a pretty quick pace of vaccinations happening now again among the over eighties and, and uh, soon to be over seventies. So that should, you know, we should start seeing this easing um, into February. And then the big question is whether it will ease enough that they feel confident to reopen schools.
2: Now, therese I mean, I was mentioning earlier in the program. It does seem extraordinary that an issue that now uh, is coming well, in big time for the government, which is once again school meals, meals for poorer people, for people of, of limited means, uh, and the extension over it. Of course, it was fought over by Marcus Rashford, a footballer, uh, on social media. And now, once again, the issue about inadequate provision of these meals all seems to come down to the intervention of Marcus Rashford. I mean, that's absurd, isn't it? Yeah, I mean,
0: what, what can one say about this, except that it's, you know, the government has once again left this huge open goal. Um, you know, to its credit, this time there was an immediate response. As soon as a, as as soon as someone tweeted um, uh, a very meager-looking uh, food box and said, um, I think that, you know, public funds were charged £30 for this, I would have bought it for £5.22, uh, tweeted a, a Twitter user called Roadside Mum. Now, the company that that uh, delivered the box, uh, clarified that this was a food box for five days, not 10 days, that the public purse was charged much less. It was charged 10 pounds 50. Nevertheless, it is hugely embarrassing. It's clearly, um, you know, not what anyone uh, expected not what the government promised, and of course they've had to step in and um, you know and, and promise to fix it. But um, yeah, a combination of social media and the remarkable Marcus Rashford, and you just wonder how many times it's going to take for the government to get it right and um, you know and 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 really um, deliver for uh, for those who are you know who don't have food security in the country, and it's a surprising number.
4: Uh, but then, of course, there are other issues that are, are just waiting to flare up like this. I mean, you've got the eviction ban, the universal credit top up, things that the government brought in earlier in the pandemic that are due to expire, that they're going to face a lot of pressure to renew. Would it not be better just to get on this now rather than fighting that fight where, let's face it, they're not going to look good?
0: Yeah, I think that's a real weakness of this government. And it's one that the opposition Labour Party is now, you know, hammering almost on a daily basis. We saw Pierre Starmer tweeting immediately uh, in reaction to the initial images that, you know, it was woefully inadequate. And the Labour Party is is now giving a series of speeches, setting out their own uh, economic policy. And one of the things that they're focusing on is reducing waste while also providing for the poorest in, in, in society, not sort of uh, reacting to, um, uh, to, the, to the economic side of the crisis yeah. by skimping on public expenditure. So, you know, fully agree, this is one the government needs to get out ahead of it, if it's not going to constantly be on the defense.
2: Bloomberg Westminster, listen weekdays at noon on DAB Digital Radio in London.